Hey, Frank, where you been? No podcast. I checking out your podcast. No, I don't see a new one. Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? Hey, Whisk. Yeah, I totally agree with you on your idea of uh, protecting your art. I also agree that the idea of, um, what is it, that you have to have some measure of consistency in creating things like podcasts. And I haven't quite gotten down to a routine where I can get something on a regular date. And I think that would probably help. And maybe I need to look into doing some bullet journaling or something to keep me on task with that. Although uh, family life and work life tend to interrupt all of those plans since this is really an extracurricular endeavor. But I will definitely try to keep up Hey Frank, it's uh, Robert from the DM Dad podcast. Um, I uh, I really I really like and agree with your ideas about um, uh, the races and uh, making like a five E light. Um, I'm kind of thinking about doing something similar if I ever run uh, the five E version of Rappanathuk to sort of limit it to the kind of um, one version of the four core races um, to give it more of an old school feel. Um, I also, yeah, like what you pointed out about speed, um, the speed differences are important if you're playing on a grid. If you're not, then it becomes kind of an abstract concept or concept, and you could probably just, yeah, flatten it um, to make it easier. You're not going to be counting out squares. I'm uh, coming up to my time, so I'll give you a part two in a minute. Uh, it's DM Dad again. Here's part two, because um, you, you talked about alignment. Um, I... I like a lot of people, I have a real love-hate relationship with li- alignment. It's a classic part of the game, but if you if you look at it too hard or examine it too hard, then it just creates arguments that can be an excuse for lazy role playing. Um, I I had I mean, there's the easiest thing would be just ditch it, and uh, there are other games that do that, like Adventures in Middle Earth, that just say, "Look, everybody's good, so just deal with it." Um, uh, other things I thought about doing would just be um, go back to an earlier alignment system, like the three-point alignment system or the five-point alignment system, because the fact that modern gamers are less familiar with it means they would just have to rethink about alignment, and that would maybe get them to break some of their old habits. Thanks, Robert. I'm glad you're enjoying the series. It's a unique exercise for me, and uh, I'm having fun with it so far. Regarding alignment, yeah, my only real fear in hand-waving it, which is what I'm leaning towards, was uh, how well it plays out um, in regular play. And fortunately, uh, our friend Colin has had some experience with this. Hi, Frank. It's Colin, Spike Pit. Regarding your 5e light question, alignment... um, I ran best best part of a hundred sessions of five E, and I'm pretty sure that if light alignment came up at all, it was very very rarely. I played with quite a few novice players, and I just thought the whole alignment thing was going to complicate matters. 
So when we generated characters, I decided to leave it to one side, thinking that it would come up later and I could just sort of organically introduce it. But in truth, found no need and just let the players kind of be themselves. And it worked fine. So I would leave it to one side, mate. Thanks, Colin. That was some much-needed advice. Uh, My biggest fear was how well it plays in regular play without alignment. And as I expected, it works just fine without it. Um, And of course, anyone who wants to play with it or if it does come up, they can always refer back to the core rules as written. Hey, Frank T. I loved your last episode about lightening up 5e. Um, That's a bold challenge. It's a lot easier to start from scratch and build something simple than it is to take something complex and cut away bits until you get something simple. So I wish you luck on that. I like everything that you cut. There were times in my head that I wanted to argue with you about things like speed, for instance, and then I thought, nah, nah, he's right. Just cut it. It doesn't make sense. It's it's not that it doesn't make sense. It's just that it's not needed. Um, I have one question and one thought. The question is about sub races. Um, You were a little unclear Are you saying that you would allow someone to choose either normal elf or high elf or just that the only choice would be high elf? Same thing for, um, you know, mountain dwarf and lightfoot halfling. If it's the latter, in other words, there's only one choice per race and I approve it's the former, I'd say go further, make it simple. Let me look at my seconds here and see how much time I have left. Yep, got to go in for a second one. Here we go. Okay, part two. You mentioned the speed of character generation as a metric for a rules-like game, and I think you're right, but I would take it a little further and talk about speed of character assimilation. They're related, but I think the difference is if you hand somebody a character sheet, like a pre-gen, how long does it take them to get comfortable with that character sheet? Um, what it represents, you know, what's on it, where where each thing is, how often should you look at it or just ignore it? Uh, to me, the, uh, being able to assimilate a character and play it is the speed, that speed is more important than the speed it takes to actually generate it. So um, that's just a thought for you. All right, man, keep it up. I'm looking forward to future episodes on Lightning Up 5E. This is Ray Otis from Plundergrounds. Talk to you later. Thanks, Ray. Yeah, uh, it is the latter. Uh, I'm only allowing one choice for subrace. I think it makes it simple. And uh, that sort of dovetails well into your part two which is, I agree with you on speed of assimilation. And I think that speed of assimilation and speed of character generation in some ways are related. If I have less to worry about putting down, writing down on the sheet, the character sheet, uh, then in most cases, I also have less that I have to internalize in terms of uh, what my character can do and how to run that character. I also feel that um, unless players get lazy, it's a lot more fun to come up with your character and who they are through play than it is to have, you know, an elaborate backstory that uh, you write beforehand. It also is a bit of insurance that uh, you don't spend way too much time investing in this character before they uh, snuff it. You know, Ray, it's perfectly okay to disagree with me. I am, however, happy to see that you came around to the truth. 
and I will put this out to everyone. I, I really feel like this whole exercise should be a group project. There are a lot more people, uh, such as Colin, who have more experience with 5e than I do. And I would love to hear some of that feedback because even if uh, somebody does disagree, then, you know, that may be a perspective that I'm not really looking at or not aware of. And uh, I don't have any problem arguing points because I feel like through argument, the best solution rises to the top. So uh, please feel free, everyone, to call in and give me your two copper pieces. And with that, I think it's time for another microburst. You're listening to Frank T's Liner Notes, an informal, irregular podcast where I will think out loud about map design, papercraft terrain, game theories, projects I'm working on, and in general, letting loose the voices inside my head. of class to 5e light. In today's microburst, we're talking about classes, or at least starting to talk about classes. I think we're going to spend at least one episode per class, and uh, just by way of review, you know, we've already talked about races as well as the scope of the project and things that we will be eliminating or at least toning down. So one of the things with classes, when I compare it to the swords and wizardry light rules, I find that, uh, the Swords and Wizardry light rules were designed just to get people in the door. And I, I like that idea. And I think that, you know, Continual Light expands on that to make it a fully campaignable rule set. And probably in the future, I'll look into doing the same thing. But for now, uh, you know, Swords and Wizardry light uses uh, levels one through three, I believe. And so um, 5e has a sort of really easy curve going into the first three levels. They're, they're kind of considering those your starter levels where uh, once a character reaches third level, that's about the equivalent of a first level character in previous editions, which is, is pretty nice. And uh, it just makes it, for me, I'm going to look at making levels one through four and using those based on some of the choices that they have. I want to reduce the classes to the essentials. So I'm really looking to eliminate skills and that may be a challenge because I think, you know, the, the one class that definitely needs some sort of skills is the rogue 
or the thief class. And uh, the 5e DMG has some options of raw versus skills. And I'm still a little confused on that. So if there's a 5e player out there who can kind of give me an idea of how to interpret the 5e DMG option, because as I see it, skills are a, when you, when you're, when it's a proficiency skill, you actually get a bonus to that, but the DMG option doesn't talk so much about a proficiency skill in terms of a class proficiency. It just really gives you options for what you, what attribute you will be rolling as a proficient attribute based on class. Um, So I'm a little confused because it still seems like with that, with that option, you don't get to be unique because I think you, if I'm correct, the rogue will will roll against decks as a proficiency, but it's just a proficiency. There's no added bonus. And so, you know, any other class that will roll against decks would have the exact same advantage if it were a proficiency. So maybe somebody else, you know, call in, clear that up for me a little bit. Or if you've got a better idea, I'm definitely into crowdsourcing this whole project. So back to... um some of the options I may also look at to kind of clear some of this up or, or give me a better idea or understanding of where to go will be, I'll be looking at rogue comets dungeon-esque. And I know I've brought that up before, um, before I even started this project. I, I think it's a good, it's a good rule set, but it still has a lot of the fluff. Uh, fluff is not a good word. It's just, it's, still not as basic or essential as I think it can be, but there may be some ideas that, uh, I can use. So, and, and it's a completely 5e compatible rule sets. It's just, you know, and it, it, the, on the, on the tin, it says, uh, 5e compatible rule set optimized for old school play. Now take that, you know, with a grain of salt or however you wish. I plan on doing a review of that rule set at a later date, but uh, although I don't, I don't really play much Five E. I, I like the idea of uh, Colin Green's uh, requirements for doing a review that you should play through something a bit before doing a review. So that will be a, a back burner project as well. So that really brings us up to date on where we are with how to, you know, the challenges of reducing classes. And as I get into each individual class, I think each one will come up, come with its own unique challenges. Thanks for listening to today's microburst of Frank T's liner notes. You can find me on Google Plus as Frank Turfler. I am also on Facebook as Middle Kingdoms Adventure and Trading Company. 
or Twitter at Middle Kingdoms. Also, check out my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash frankt.